Okay, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, welcome to Free Association. Uh, this is I'm calling this a Welcome to the Future show. It, it's a new show with some clips. I've got about 20 minutes worth of news and clips. I'm going to try and keep this short and snappy. So to encourage people to, to listen, basically. Uh, attention spans tend to wander after about 25 or 30 minutes. So I'm trying to keep it at about 20 minutes. And I've got some news from Australia, a couple of clips from the UK, and then a, a clip of Dr. Stefan Lanker, who's uh, an interesting guy. Anyway, let's get on with it, because I want to try and be quick. So let's find out. I've just set up a new way to do this. You play this on BitChute. So here we go. Let's see if this works. Side effects from COVID vaccines. Those people are now being offered compensation. It's been a long road to recovery for Maddie John. It's a really uncomfortable and uh, quite a frightening experience. He felt like he was having a heart attack two days after getting the Pfizer vaccine. I just got this sharp pain that I've never experienced before in the center of my chest. Diagnosed with severe pericarditis, he was off work for 10 weeks. You constantly worry, I suppose, that anxiety around, I suppose, we're talking about your heart. Maddie's not alone. It's estimated 79,000 people have suffered adverse reactions to vaccines. Now, the government's offering compensation. Claims under $20,000 will need evidence from your doctor. Claims over $20,000 assessed by a team of legal experts. The highest figure reserved for only the most serious of cases. I think it could cost the government a lot of money. Daniel O'Hara works at Shine Lawyers. He's looked closely at the government scheme. If you do suffer pericarditis, it can uh, result in you being out of pocket. Um, you know, you might have to see a cardiologist, you might need procedures. Um, so it is definitely appropriate that there is a vaccination scheme there to compensate those people. But like all schemes, there are limitations. To make a claim, you must spend at least one night in a hospital. And that's a clause that makes Matty John ineligible. He was admitted to hospital twice, but never stayed the night. It is a little bit frustrating um, and out of pocket a fair bit, but you say that too. Um, it is what it is, and um, that's life. The scheme is now open. Nick Hose, 7 News. has concluded the BBC Radio Newcastle presenter Lisa Shaw died after complications of the COVID vaccination. Lisa, who was 44, died in May after being given her first dose of the vaccine. Well, our news correspondent Mark Denton was at the inquest at Newcastle Civic Centre this morning and joins us now. Well, Jeff, the inquest heard that Lisa initially developed severe headaches at home. She was treated first in hospital in Durham, and she was then transferred to the Royal Victoria Infirmary in Newcastle, where she sadly died. Now, in her conclusion, the senior Newcastle coroner, Karen Dilks, said it was clearly established 
that Lisa's death was due to a vaccine-induced thrombotic cytopenia. Now, that is a condition which leads to blood clots and swelling of the brain. The coroner said it was a very rare condition. Now, earlier in evidence to the inquest, we heard from Dr. Christopher Johnson. He was one of the doctors that treated Lisa in hospital in Newcastle. He said it was one of the first cases he'd seen where the underlying cause of a condition was, in his view, a complication of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, a pathologist who examined Lisa, Dr. Talmo Pavakovsky, he told the inquest that he supported strongly the idea that her condition was vaccine-induced. Now, Lisa joined BBC Radio Newcastle in 2016. She's previously worked for a number of commercial radio stations and won awards, including Breakfastshire Presenter of the Year, when she worked uh, for the commercial station Century Radio. In a statement, her family said, this is another difficult day in what has been a devastating time for us. The death of our beloved Lisa has left a terrible void in our family and in our lives. Uh, let me just set up this next clip. Another UK clip. Hi, my name's Dana. I've been a qualified nurse for 37 years. I thought probably I would die in work. I never actually considered um, retiring. I've worked with nurses of 75 plus. But now it's not an option on the table for me. Because after April, unless I've had the vaccination, the jab, then I won't be in a job anymore. And I've had to think about that long and hard. I cried a few tears. But behind me, you see empty walls because I've sold my house. Because after April, I won't be a nurse anymore. I'm just coming up to retirement age. So really, if I lose my job, it's no biggie. But I've also lost my home. I've also lost the years that I put nursing before my family of being a mother, a grandmother, and a wife. All because I've been told that I have to sign up for a clinical trial. Very strange, isn't it, that if I'd have gone into work and said, I'm going to take part in a clinical trial, everybody would have told me I was completely bonkers and how dangerous it was. But now I've been told to. So I'm standing with the NHS, I'm standing for the staff who have decided not to do what they've been told. Because at the end of the day, working in the NHS, we've been telling them what's wrong for years and they've never listened to any of us. Because our opinion didn't matter. And we've now reached a point that their opinion doesn't matter either. So for all those people in the NHS, I support you. I'm a nurse and I support you. I support your decision for body autonomy. I support your decision to do what you think is right. I support your decision to follow your conscience. Because when you're told to do something that you know is morally and ethically wrong, then you have to take a stand. Sometimes we can't do it in work because we're there to protect people and not make their decisions for them. To allow them to make the decisions, even if they're not the right decisions, because that's who we are. All right, then. Peace.
Dr. Stefan Lanka. And it's, a, it's a, nothing spreads but fear. try to force you have to read please read do this and probably it's not possible for a lot of people but i think it's better i'm not speaking and but i have to be attractive like like the flower and the bees are coming and if i behave in a way with that is attractive that i offer information you know so the one who being open will come but the one not being open probably you 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 can say um, yeah. and then you'll see if, if this person reacts and want to get more but if there's not a positive reply it's better not to do anything to go on and it's hard it's hard when you see that they let the, you know vaccinate themselves or taking chemotherapy you know like drinking gasoline and then oh well, well. but this is um, still uh, the majority at least uh, here but I, I i i i think they are waiting uh, for you know a better understanding and this is there and this is what i think the best argument to say look there is a better explanation of life and this is much better you can really check it, feel it on your own, go into this, and then if they go there, they automatically understand that this explanation is not possible. The fact of alignment. Virologists have never isolated the complete genetic strand of a virus and displayed it directly in its entire length. They always use very short pieces of nucleic acids whose sequence consists of four molecules to determine them and call them sequences. From a multitude of millions of such specific very short sequences, virologists mentally assemble a fictitious long genome strand with the help of complex computational and statistical methods. This process is called alignment. The result of this complex alignment, the fictitious and very long genetic strand, is presented by virologists as the core of a virus and they claim to have thus proven the existence of a virus. However, such a complete strand never appears in reality and in scientific literature as a whole, although the simplest standard techniques have long been available to determine the length and composition of nucleic acids simply and directly. By the fact of the alignment, instead of presenting a nucleic acid of the appropriate length directly, the virologists have disproved themselves. The fact of the lack of control experiments for alignment. Virologists have never performed and documented an alignment using equally short nucleic acids from control experiments. To do this, they must isolate the short nucleic 
nucleic acids from the exact same cell culture procedure with the difference that the suspected infection does not occur by adding supposedly infected samples but with sterile materials or sterilized samples that have been controlled and infected. These logical and mandatory control experiments have never been performed and documented. The virologists alone have thus proven that their statements have no scientific value and must not be passed off as scientific statements. Alignment is only done by means of mental constructs. In order to be able to mentally, computationally assemble the very short sequences of the nucleic acids used into a long genome, the virologists need a template to align the short sequences into a very long, supposedly viral genome strand. Without such a given very long sequence, it is not possible for a virologist to construct a viral genome theoretically, computationally. Virologists argue that the constructed genome is from a virus because the alignment was done with another given viral genome. This argument of the virologists is briefly and unambiguously refuted by the fact that all templates with which new genetic material strands were generated theoretically computationally were themselves and finally generated theoretically computationally and do not originate from a virus. Viruses have never been seen in a human, animal, plant or in liquids thereof. Virologists claim that infectious, edest, intact viruses are supposed to be present in large numbers in blood and saliva. That is why, for example, in the corona crisis, all people wear a mask. To date, however, not a single virus has been photographed in saliva, blood or other places in a human, animal, plant or fluid. Although electron microscopic imaging is now an easy and routine standard technique. This unambiguous and easily verifiable fact alone that there are no images of viruses in human, animal, plant or liquids from it disproves all virus allegations, something that has never been seen in human, animal, plant or liquids from it must not be given as a scientifically proven fact. The composition of the structures that are claimed to be viruses has never been biochemically characterized. There are two different techniques that virologists use to create photos of alleged viruses. For transmission electron microscopy, they use cell cultures which they embed in synthetic resin, scrape into thin layers and look through. Particles that they show in such images have never been isolated and their composition has never been biochemically determined. After all, all proteins and the long genome strand that is attributed to the virus would have to be found. Neither that, nor the isolation of such embedded particles and the biochemical characterization of their composition appear in a single publication by virologists. This refutes the virologists' claim that such recordings are viruses. The other method used by virologists to photograph viruses under the electron microscope is the simple and fast observation electron microscopy known as negative staining. In order to concentrate actually existing structures, 
such as phages and giant viruses, and to separate them from all other components, which is then called isolation. A standard technique is used, the density gradient centrifugation. The visibility of presence, appearance and purity of these isolated structures in the electron microscope is achieved by coating these particles with, with a metal containing substance and making the underlying structures appear as shadows in, in the electron beam. The other part of the isolated particles which were made visible by negative staining is biochemically characterized. In the case of all phages and giant viruses, the nucleic acids are always found to be intact, always the same, always very long and composed in the same way and the results of the biochemical characterization are documented. In the case of all viruses, which are issued as viruses by means of this technique, the negative staining, the following has been done. These particles are not enriched, purified and isolated by the density gradient centrifugation provided for this purpose, but sedimented by simple centrifugation on the bottom of the centrifuge tube, which is called pelleting, and then observed under the electron microscope. The composition of such structures, which are presented as viruses, has never been determined biochemically until today. With this easily verifiable and comprehensible statement based on all publications of virologists in which structures are identified as viruses by means of the electron microscope, the virologists have also disproved this argument of the existence of viruses in a simple and elegant way without noticing it. Electron microscopic images, which are output as viruses, are known typical artifacts or cell-specific structures. Virologists publish a large number of electron microscopic images of structures that they pass off as viruses. They do not mention the fact that all of these images are typical structures of dying cell cultures or are laboratory-produced protein fat soap bubbles and have never been photographed in human, animal, plant or liquids from them. Researchers other than virologists refer to the same structures that virologists present as viruses as either typical cell components such as really amoeba-like protuberances with which cells cling to the surface and move around, exosomes or virus-like particles. This is a further independent proof that the virologist's statements that viruses can be seen under the electron microscope have been scientifically disproved. The animal experiments of the virologists refute the virus-existing assertions. Virologists carry out animal experiments to prove that the substances they work with are viruses and can cause diseases. It is clear from every single publication in which such animal experiments have been conducted that the way the animals are treated produces exactly the symptoms that are claimed to be caused by the virus. In each of these publications, it is clear that no control experiments have been performed where the animals would have been treated in the same way with sterilized starting material. These two openly stated facts refute the virologists who claim that they detected the presence and effect of viruses 
in animal experiments. Okay, that's pretty much it for the clips. That was uh, Stefan Lanker. His voice is a bit monotonous, but it, I think it makes the point that the, there isn't any evidence of a virus and the, the, vi the germ theory is questionable. And uh, there's, lots of, there's lots of questions to be asked around that. Um, I wish I could find something where his voice is a bit livelier, but uh, something will turn up at some point. If anybody wants to call in Black Dragon Radio or Random Bloke Juvert, you're welcome to call in. Uh, I'll keep I'll keep the show running till uh, the top of the hour, so fifteen minutes or so. If you want to talk, if if not, I can just wrap it up with another clip, and uh, see where we go. Uh, quiet. That's fair enough. No obligation. No no stress. So let's have a look and see what else we've got on here. Right, let me find something that's about 10 minutes long. Just to fill in the Oh, the day's news was Gillian Maxwell has been found guilty of uh, various sex trafficking offences. Gillian Maxwell trial. Jury reaches verdict. Guilty of helping ex-boyfriend Jeffrey Epstein sexually abuse teenage girls. Maxwell found guilty on five counts, including sex trafficking of a minor and not guilty on one, enticing a minor to travel to engage in illegal sex acts. She has caused hurt to many more women than the few of us who had the chance to testify in the courtroom. I hope that this verdict brings solace to all who need it and demonstrates that no one is above the law. Earlier, accusers said Maxwell played a central role in Epstein's sex abuse scheme and took part in encounters sometimes. After the verdict was read, Maxwell appeared to be emotionless as she poured herself a glass of water. However, she didn't hug her lawyer on her way out, as she usually did. Her $7 million defense is not giving up. We firmly believe in Ghislaine's innocence. Obviously, we are very disappointed with the verdict. We have already started working on the appeal and we are confident that she will be vindicated. But reports suggest another option, too. Will Ghislaine Maxwell start naming names to get a shorter sentence? Maxwell conviction could be bad news for Prince Andrew as she may start naming names to cut sentence. The British socialite is now facing up to 65 years in prison. With the sentencing on the horizon, the main question remains. Will it be an end of the Ghislaine Maxwell saga and the beginning of many other high-profile cases?
I think she'll probably start naming names because the idea of being in prison for the rest of your life is a is a very focusing thing. Uh, so I think she'll name at least a few people. Now, the sentencing hasn't happened yet, so we don't know how long she's going to get. I don't know whether they will muzzle her. Uh, they, they might. There might be some kind of arrangement going on where some some bank accounts are filled with money. I don't know. I don't know how it all works, but it's a blackmail operation, obviously. It was a blackmail operation, so it's still really a blackmail operation. It's just happening from prison now. So it's a very it's a very disturbing thing anyway. Um, I think probably Mossad and the CIA were involved somewhere along the line. Possibly British intelligence as well. Given that her father worked for just about every intelligence agency that was possible to name at the time. Israel and Russia and and MI five, I think. security services the intelligence agencies if they are behind it uh will will make sure it happens the way they want it to happen anyway so uh, the it's been covered a little bit on the bbc and sean atwood did a an hour and a half's video on odyssey a live stream from last night when she was found when they were waiting for the guilty verdict to come in or the verdict to come in on each charge yeah i tried i try not i don't watch it on the mainstream media but i do tend to watch live streams where people are talking about news. So I get my news that way. And the trial's been going on for at least a couple of weeks. And then the the verdict has taken the, the whole of this week, more or less. Well, up to now. So it took three days. And obviously the jury wants to get away before New Year. So they had to come to some kind of conclusion before New Year, otherwise they'd be stuck in a hotel. Um, all right, guys, thanks for coming in. I think I'm going to close it down now because we're just coming up to 26, 27 minutes. I'm trying to keep things under 30 minutes on the clip shows that I do. Uh, but thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to try and do one of these every day. And see how I get on. Not not necessarily every single day, but as many as I can. Uh, I'm not putting myself under any pressure. I'm just going to do them when I've got them. But I've got a new I've got a new system in place where I'm using a playlist on on BitChute to uh, set everything up. So hopefully that'll work and make it easier to play for me to play clips. Well, thanks for coming in.
guys, and I'll I'll catch you later. I'll catch you tomorrow, maybe.